This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. New guidance from the FFIEC related to online authentication is pushing financial institutions to increase investments in anti-fraud technologies and stronger online authentication measures. But what technologies make the most sense? And how should banks and credit unions analyze out-of-band authentication options that the mobile channel provides? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Tom Wells, a financial services security and fraud analyst who shares his thoughts about the new guidance and different ways banking institutions can attain compliance through technology and the emerging mobile channel. Tom, many financial institutions have made significant investments in anti-fraud technology that aims to secure their online banking channels. But it's clear from the recent uptick in corporate account takeover incidents that phishing attacks and the malware behind them are increasing in sophistication. And they're increasing at a rate with which many banks have not been able to keep up. How do you view anti-fraud technology most financial institutions continue to rely on today? Well, unfortunately, Tracy, the vast majority of banks are relying on a set of risk controls that's out of date and not at all adequate to meet the material threats that are out there today. And the evidence of that that we're seeing is that just simply the number of security breaches that just keep coming. Institutions of all shapes and sizes are getting hit uh, with new kinds of attacks that nobody imagined just a few years ago. The, the, the Zipmo is a good example of that. And they're getting hit in multiple service channels, not just mobile, but ATMs, call centers, the Internet. Uh, now mobile has been added to that. Uh, so, so in my view, the industry is, is getting rather beaten up at the moment. And, uh, you know, by the way, I think the basic problem behind that that we're seeing is not necessarily technological, even though it's being played out through technology. What I mean by that is I think that the basic problem is systemic and it's organizational. It's in the bank's lack of ability to react fast enough to the new wave of threats. So it's basically what we're seeing is a kind of asymmetric warfare. You remember that term, asymmetric warfare, was first used in reference to terrorist attacks, where the terrorists were able to inflict massive damage using tools that were extremely easy and uh, inexpensive to obtain and use. The classic example of that is, is of course, the Al-Qaeda hijackers using box cutters to bring down an airplane on um, September the 11th. The comparison point here is that even though the banking industry has tremendous resources compared to the hackers that are going after them uh, to deploy technology and, and to fight fraud, the industry is being toyed with by a group of cyber thugs, and, and, and judging by the arrests that have happened in the past couple of months, a lot of them are teenagers. Um, so, so there's a real asymmetric uh, situation that's going on here. And Tom, where could financial institutions make improvements when it comes to the technologies that they're investing in to build on what they already have? Well, you know, that, that would take way more time than we have in the podcast <laughs> to go over that thoroughly, but I'll offer a few basics, Tracy. Um, the first is, and again, not really being based in technology, it's, it's, it's to develop the ability within the organization to react much faster than you can today uh, to new threats that they're coming up. So def- technology definitely plays a part in that, don't get me wrong here. Um, you know, it, it, we, we can help by deploying better authentication and transaction analytics. Um, and some of the newer solutions from companies like Guardian Analytics, Iovation, Trustee, RSA, um, can, can definitely help to get a bank out from behind the eight ball here, but any technology solutions should be supported by empowering the risk management team to act as independently as quickly as possible. What we're looking for is agility here, not just technology. 
um, giving the team an adequate budget for them to be effective. I've worked with institutions, uh, large ones and, and medium-sized ones, where you know there were layers and layers of committees and approvals and, and red tape that had to be obtained before making a critical software purchase uh, could be approved. And I understand that that what I'm what I'm really advocating is not so easy these days with budgets being under pressure in in, in the financial institutions. Um, but you know the budget should should be. Um, I I, th I think that. That what I said should be should be certainly considered by top management and, and given a high priority. Uh, the budget should also, of course, be supported by a risk analysis showing that uh, um, what you stand to lose financially versus uh, what you have to spend to protect against those losses. So, so, and so, to summarize that, technology certainly has its place, but there's some organizational and and, and budgetary uh, uh, factors as well. And that's a great point that you make, Tom, about budgets and all the different things that institutions are looking at when it comes to cutting expenses and then trying to make wise investments. I wanted to ask you, in light of the new FFIEC guidelines, many institutions, of course, are considering investments in new technology. But how should banks analyze these new solutions before they make a decision to buy? How can they adequately compare the many solutions that are now available on the market? Yeah, it's really hard to do this kind of analysis, Tracy, because uh, you know the, the the creativity and imagination that we're seeing on the on on the, the black hat side on the hacker side is um, being met by a lot of creative creativity and and innovation on the the vendor side of things um, to to come up with solutions both in authentication and back end analytics and uh, it's it's actually pretty hard to do an apples to apples comparison of different vendor solutions uh, a lot of the time vendors actually don't help too much because they want they don't want you to dig too deeply because they might lose a sale. Um, so I would say outsource this work, and maybe this is a bit of a shameless plug here, but, but get hold of analyst reports like the annual comparison of mobile authentication vendors that we do at Javelin, uh, which is which is something that's done by a dedicated team that's, that's really digging under the hood with some of these complex technology offerings that are out there, and you'll end up with a much smarter basis to make a purchasing decision. Now, multi-layered authentication is something that we continue to hear and read about, and there are countless vendors in the market today that are pushing their solutions. Everything from biometrics that rely on voice recognition to tokenization have been touted as being superior to the competition. How can institutions, Tom, evaluate these solutions to determine which solution best fits their needs? Yeah, well, well again, Tracy, I don't have a, a simple pat answer to that, unfortunately. Uh, because of just the whole plethora of, of, of different offerings with different features and different functionalities that are out there. Uh, I guess my advice would be once again to stay on top of the technology landscape as well as the, as the threat landscape. You know, making sure that there's someone on your risk management team who is tasked with doing that, with keeping up with business intelligence essentially, should be part of their job description. Uh, subscribe to the right reports, uh, subscribe to the right blogs, and basically try and outsource the work of doing the analysis because you can really get bogged down in it. There, there's literally so so much uh, uh, complexity out there in the number of vendor offerings. That, that, that's probably the best advice I could give them. And when we're, we're talking about authentication, of course, we have different types of authentication to consider. What about out-of-band versus in-band authentication? Can you define the nuances or differences between the two? Mm -hmm, sure, sure. Just, just quickly explain the differences there. Out-of-band authentication simply means that the request from the bank, from the bank's server, uh, for authentication credentials, your username, your password, and whatever extra factor is being used, that information goes out over a different channel from the ones 
that carries the credentials provided by the customer. So an example of that, uh, the customer is logging into a web page. Uh, the request comes in uh, via the web or HTTP, but a token or SMS message is used to generate a one-time password, which is not happening over HTTP. So the request comes in over the web, but the reply goes back um, um, over, a, over a different channel. Now, inband, on the other hand, means that uh, the request and the credentials go out, or they come in and they go out over the same channel. So there, the username, password, and additional authentication factor are requested in a web page, and the customer enters that information in fields on the same web page. Inband is less safe because if the channel is compromised, say, by a man-in-the-middle attack, the attacker now is able to just harvest all of the credentials that, 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 that are going back and forth, and uh, as well as the request for the credentials, and go back and access the account much more easily. So um, out-of-band all other things being equal is a, is a safer method than in-band authentication. And what role does and should the mobile channel play in a bank's plan for stronger online authentication, especially when we consider this out-of-band authentication? Yeah, I, I, I would recommend taking a, um, uh, considering very, um, very closely the a mobile option to do out-of-band authentication. Uh, it's great because it can work as an additional authentication factor. If it's something you have, your cell phone is something you have, and uh, at least with postpaid cell phones plans in the United States, there is some level of KYC that's required to get a mobile account. You need to go in and show your government ID to the phone dealer, and you have to have a credit check run uh, to open your mobile account. So there's a, a fair amount of strength in the, in, the, in, in the identity that's provided by uh, a, a mobile phone. That's one point. The second is where a mobile is useful is that is technically because it can work as I described just uh, in the last question, uh, as a separate channel for the out-of-band authentication that we were talking about. And where do you see most U.S. banking institutions, Tom, currently missing the mark when it comes to mobile's ability to offer this second layer of authentication? I, I think in most cases, Tracy, that they, they simply haven't, uh, haven't implemented these types of solutions yet. You know, it took... Um, it took about three years from when the FFIEC uh, guidance on uh, multi-factor authentication came out, which I believe was 2005, to when it was implemented by the vast majority of institutions in the United States, which was around uh, the middle of 2008. It took, it took all of that time. And um, during the time that it, that it took to do that implementation, um, the, the, the hackers were getting busy analyzing the, the chinks in the armor, if you will, and coming up with ways to go around it. So I, I, I think, I, I wouldn't say, you know, banks are missing the mark in terms of, of considering this technology, but it's just not out there and it's not deployed fast enough. Um, and it's, um, I, I mean, I've, I've seen very few places where it's, it's deployed in combination with a very robust risk management and, and security program that, that includes ongoing uh, a risk analysis, back-end analytics, uh, uh, strong application security and other things. So, so you know, the, the authentication, I guess my main point is the authentication is just one piece of a broader information security program uh, that needs to be in place to make it robust. I'm not seeing too much of at the moment. And what lessons could U.S. institutions perhaps learn from overseas institutions where the use of mobile for out-of-band authentication is more widely spread? Well, you know, as you go around the world, Tracy, um, I, I'm seeing a lot of banks experiment with some of the newer methods 
of authentication like voice biometrics, for example. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage U.S. banks to pay more attention to what's going on uh, offshore internationally to uh, follow some of these banks that are, that are using um, some of the methods that are, that are less tried and true uh, that hold a lot of promise and, uh, you know, attend the conferences, listen to the presentations of the, uh, of the case studies and, uh, and, and try to get some idea of how these things are actually working in the real world because, uh, you know, if you, if you listen to a vendor pitch, they're always going to share that in the best light. That's, that's uh, naturally to be expected. Um, but, but in real life, uh, you know, these, these technologies are a considerable investment. They're often half a million dollars and up to, to, to purchase the package and the support package. Go to, to watch the banks that are implementing these things outside of the states and uh, pay attention to what's happening and learn from them. In Singapore, where I live, it's interesting. Banks are still issuing uh, one-time password tokens, uh, you know, the RSA tokens to their consumers. I'm not a big fan of those things from a user-friendliness point of view, uh, but they do, of course, uh, as long as the vendor's back-end database isn't compromised, uh, offer some, some fairly strong security. And so the banks in Singapore have opted for more security versus uh, usability and user-friendliness. I'm not sure if, uh, if banks in the U.S. with a much more competitive environment could, could get away with that, if you will. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a good point that you make. It might not work well here, but at least we could perhaps take variations of things taking place in different parts of the world. I wanted to go back to some of the discussion that you made earlier, Tom, about man-in-the-mobile attacks or these MITMO attacks. Should banks be worried about compromises of the mobile channel if they do decide to lean on mobile for stronger authentication? They should absolutely be worried about it. Um, but as always, authentication in the mobile channel or authentication in any other channel has to be part of a layered defense system. Um, it can't be the only control that you put up there. Um, any good security design of a mobile banking system or a mobile payment system has to start with the premise that uh, one of the controls can get compromised with enough determination and time. And, you know, these hackers do have determination and time. They have a big motivation. We're really talking about the bank robbery of the 21st century here. Put up as many barriers as possible, but also put in your other layers. You have to have a complete risk management security system. Um, don't deploy these things in isolation. And before we close, Tom, what final thoughts would you like to leave our audience with as they relate to anti-fraud investments generally and steps institutions should be taking to incorporate mobile into their authentication practices? Mm, sure. I, I would say, number one, um, and it's, I may be sounding like a broken record saying this because I've been saying it for several years now, don't let your security and fraud investments be driven only by compliance requirements. Compliance does not equal security. Make sure that you have a comprehensive risk assessment done and then updated at least once a year or whenever a new material threat surfaces. And, of course, again, that means keeping yourself informed on a daily basis. Uh, it's really, really important to stay on top of the, of the threat landscape here. Second thing is don't just rely on technology, as I mentioned before. Empower your risk management team uh, to, to act quickly and act independently when a new threat comes up. Give them some serious consideration to their budget requests. Uh, of course, backed by the proper analysis. I just wanted to, to make a closing point, Trace, about the, uh, the malware that we've seen in the mobile space in the past 12 months because it was, it, it was a threat before, but it, but it hadn't actually been realized. And we've just seen an explosion of malware, especially with Android, uh, because of the fact that Android is, a, is an open source uh, platform for mobile. We have credible variants of online banking trojans like Zeus, 
uh, Vitmo, right, that have uh, hit the market, that have hit the mobile channel, and they steal usernames and passwords from users. We have malware that will turn the phone into a, into a brick that will just shut it down and cause denial of service. We have malware that deletes critical data on the phone and will just shut it down. And, and so I think it's, it's very, very important to pay attention to these things and, and be able to react when, when they come up within a matter of, of weeks and months and not a matter of years. Those are good points, Tom. I want to thank you again for your time today. It's my pleasure, Tracy. Thank you very much. Again, we've just heard from Tom Wills of Javelin Strategy and Research. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.